Blog Talk Radio. You're going to have to look at it universally 
And from a standpoint, I say, you know what? Any idea, where it's coming from, red, blue, green, as long as the idea is sound and it will develop the country well into the new millennium, then, yes, let's support that idea. But we don't just push aside the idea because it, gen- it was generated from a viewpoint or from an entity that we don't happen to agree with. I think oftentimes that seems to be the overriding theme with everybody I talk to from Belize that, you know, we tend to be so partisan in our, in our, view, in our viewpoint that we do not look at why we need to be universal and, and look at country allegiance before party allegiance. And today my guest is a very enterprising young man by the name of Richard Harrison. Um, as usual, you know, coming from Belize, I'm asking you to be patient with the bandwidth speed. And sometimes we get cut off. Sometimes we, we you know, we, um, you know, we, you know, we, you know, the clarity might some, might be a little bit sketchy. But that's the nature of the technology that we're dealing with, as far as Belize is concerned. So I always tell my listeners to to be patient, just relax, and everything will go through, you know, comfortably. You know, once you know. Once they um, once they get in, then I you know I just let you know that I have the gentleman online. But those of you, I Richard Harrison is a very unique individual, and I have been reading his blogs that he's posting, and I'm impressed. This gentleman seems to, like I said, this is you know one of the Belizeans that he's based in Belize, in the country of Belize. He's not in the diaspora, and he gets it that we need to have this unification. I'm not saying this because uh, as, a, as a novelty, like, oh, gee, this is, uh, this is some sort of, um, you know, panacea. I'm suggesting that in order for Belize to really fully maximize its potential, it must unify with the diaspora. And I'm trying to encourage and bring together like-minded Belizeans in the diaspora and in the country of Belize that views this. In that in that standpoint, I'm not trying to uh, saying you know get into any argument over what you know the, over the rationality or whether it's something that that is that we should or should not do. I'm merely suggesting that we need to examine thoroughly why we need to look into it or why we need to do it. So someone like Richard Harrison, who you know this gentleman here, like I said, he's he's a unique individual. He, his ideas uh, are genuine and sincere. He, I, 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 and I was reading his bio, and I didn't realize this was the gentleman that started the, the Ruta Maya Challenge, if you're aware of the, the boat race from all the way from San Ignacio down to Belize City. I mean, you know, this, that kind of unique perspective is, is just very refreshing. He's also an entrepreneur, you know, and he's, he's the kind of gentleman that, that, that that's, whenever he writes, it's with clarity, and he knows exactly what he's talking about. He's totally aware of where we need to go as a country and how we should how our development scoped towards reaching that goal. So um I see he's on the line, so without any further um delay I will acknowledge uh, Richard Harrison, are you on the line? Yes, good morning you work. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Glad that you uh, um you have a you have a radio on in the background or something? You have a what? You have a radio on? I hear like some noise in the background. Oh, maybe my parrot. No. 
<laughs> the parrot on the veranda. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Good. Um, all right. Great. And tell you what. Tell you what. Um, um, I I want you to introduce yourself to the listeners. You know, kind of like give a little brief. Because some people didn't know who you were. Because I guess not everybody sometimes go on, they're on the blog, but they don't really. Sometimes they might that might not be your friend or they're not you know they're not on your page. So I I'm inviting you to just give a brief little background on what you do in Belize. Okay, well, I am a Belizean uh, from Kalizakin, originally. Now mm-hmm. living in Japan. Uh, I come from the Harrison family. We involved initially with the, with the Big H youth product from where we launched the La Ruta Maya Belizeva Challenge in 1998. Then I started my own business in 2002. Richard, speak up a little louder. Speak up a little louder. Then I started my business in 2002. Uh, the, uh, the first one that I started is Verena Foods, where we are manufacturing um, shelf-stable food products, principally like uh, sauces, tomato ketchup, barbecue sauce, pizza sauce, pepper sauces, uh, vinegar. We bottle oil, and um, we are starting to get into uh, other uh, products as well, food products, no? under that Verena brand. And we also have uh, Harrison Chemicals, where we're manufacturing cleaning products, you know, like for mopping the floor, cleaning the restroom, cleaning glass, washing dishes, uh, basic products like that. That's okay. basically what I'm involved with business-wise, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Right now, uh, I'm involved in trying to get two uh, projects up and running. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about those later in the show. Um, one of them has to do with the Belize Education Excellence Society. Um, and, all, and the other one has to do with uh, Summer of Gold, which basically is the propagation of a, of a tree that grows naturally in Belize. It's a Cortez tree that in the month from April 15th to around uh, May 15th, um, it, it sheds its leaves and, and, and becomes full of bright yellow flowers, giving a golden look. Now, we want to plant about 100,000 trees around the world over the next 10 years. So we started Richard, uh, yeah. Richard, you, your voice is coming in and coming and going, I think. Um, I don't know if you're not speaking into the mic, but I, I, can you speak directly into the mic so that you could, uh, on your computer, or, you know, so you could, um, you know, come, up, come, come across clearly? Can you hear me better now? Yeah, that's better, but speak up, though. <laughs> okay. Is that better now? Yeah, that's better. That's better. Okay. Yeah, so basically that's what I've been doing, you know, and um, uh, I've been writing quite a bit um, with my free time uh, because I, I believe that I have something to contribute. And I want to do it if I can. If somebody can benefit from the things that I write. I write mostly on business and, uh, and economy and financial topics related to Belize. Uh, although I do dabble with other things, you know, I try to comment on, on, on social issues relevant to Belize. Uh, but basically, that's what I'm about right now, Gilbert. And I just wanted to say thanks very much. I really want to congratulate you on this. This is something great that you're doing, you know, using technology for our Belizeans to talk to one another, number one, yeah. and to get our message out, you know, to the rest of the world. So I mm-hmm. want to say 
being an innovative division and helping us to get our, our message out. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the whole idea. We need to be able to um, discuss and bridge the, the gaps of mistrust and, and, and you know, people who, you know, who, you know, animosity and hostility. The only way we're going to do that is by dialogue, is by talking to each other and, you know, and, and be able to, 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 to disagree without being disagreeable. I think that's one of the main things that we need to do as Belizeans because I think there's always those who want to highlight differences, but at the end of the day, we're not adversaries. We may disagree on a lot of many, many, a great many things, but at the end of the day, uh, what I would like people to know is that I'm not your adversary. I'm not here trying to, 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 to be correct or be right. Yes, I disagree with you. Yes, I have my viewpoint, but at the end of the day, we are still committed to the development of Belize. And that's the overriding team. That's the overriding goal that I have. Even though I may have disagreement with you on your philosophy or the way you see it, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be your adversary or enemy. So I think that's something that I always, I, I, so I didn't stress it before, I am now, that we need to look past those differences and have things that can transcend, you know, the petty partisan divide that continues to, debilitate our ability to move this country forward. We need a paradigm shift from just that whether we see it just as a viewpoint of uh, red or blue. But let me ask you this. As far as I saw that you said that you were doing the, uh, the, the trees, what, what made you decide to to do something like that as far as civic pride is concerned? Well, this idea has been going around in my head for about five years, right? Um, I actually want to do something bigger than that. You know, this has to do with... Uh, Richard, you know what you need to do? Stop one second. You need to turn up your volume on your computer and then stay close to the mic as your voice go in and come. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, just turn up the volume a little bit if possible, and then you stay close to the mic. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is a whole idea uh, that I just kept putting off and putting off. I was thinking that how we need to uh, try to get some seed money and all kinds of ideas were in my head, you know, how to go about it. Um, basically, it has to do with biodiversity conservation. You know, Belize has a lot of genetic material, you know, and uh, our forests and our marine resources are very rich with uh, uh, biogenetic stuff, right? And we really uh, have not scratched uh, the surface of, of the amount of biogenetic resources that we have in the need, you know. So I, I said that this, this protestry is a really brilliant tree. You know, it grows naturally in the leaves when you're driving down the Hummingbird Highway, like from April 15th to May 15th, when it reaches the time when it flowers. Uh, you can see these bright yellow trees in the forest, you know. Um, and so uh, it just occurred to me that, that if we would plant more of these trees, like my idea is over the next 10 years to plant 100,000 of them, all along the highways in Belize, 
Uh, what you will what you will get happening is some spectacular, uh, uh, awesome show of gold. You know that's why I put the name Summer of Gold or Verano de Oro. Taking one, just one of our uh, species, of our forest species, and, and, and using it and transforming it in a way that creates a lot of value for the leaves. You know, because you know what will happen when this thing flowers for a whole month? You know, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a world uh, uh, known and, and uh, recognized wonder, a unique thing. You know, um, uh, there are uh, areas in the world, some parts of the world, where they have done so. Like Virginia, I think has has where they have planted like flowering trees. You know, uh, in, uh, along different parts of the highway, and then when they flower, a lot of people flock to that area in tourism. You know, to go and see this wonder, right? Mm -hmm. And and so I I believe that summer of gold or verano de oro will bring a lot of interest to believe especially during this summer month, you know, Belizean summer, right? Belizean mm -hmm. is from February to, to May, as you know, right? The dry season is February, February to May. So uh, uh, these flowers, they, uh, these trees, they flower during this period. And, uh, and I think that this natural wonder that we will have created using only one of our natural species um, uh, will, will bring significant economic value to Belize. Okay, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to get into the discussion regarding the diaspora too because I don't know why I started off with that thing with the summer of the Verano de Oro. I guess it just when I was looking at it, it just kind of captivated my, um, <laughs> my sensibilities from it. I was like, wow, that's a really excellent thing that you know that you had there going. But um, let 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 me pause that for a minute because I, I want to get back to it, but I want to touch on the idea of the. Um, you know, you just do a little advertisement while, while we're on that topic. Well, let me just do a little advertisement because we okay. produce okay. we produce 500 seedlings of this Cortez tree this year. Okay, so uh, and and we made a publish on the Facebook offering the seedlings for five dollars per seedling, or if you buy ten seedlings, you get one free, right? And um, we have sold out all of the seedlings for this year. We uh, uh, we have ordered them, you know, uh, people who have ordered housing or, or inbox me uh, requesting and seeding, and we have sold out all of the stuff that we have for this year already. You know, uh, before the seedlings are ready, they, they, they're going to be ready in about two to three weeks' time. Right now they're very tender and they're, you know, uh, if, if we transplant them now, there are chances that we will lose many of them, you know, because they're so tender. So, we so the idea is catching on. Yes, so the idea has the idea has caught on. You know, uh, the thing is that oh, we don't have enough seedlings to supply all of what is being requested this year. But remember, this is a 10-year effort, and uh, we hope to plant over uh, or at least 100,000 um, trees over the next 10 years. So next year we will double up our efforts, and hopefully we will have uh, 1,000 to 2,000 seedlings this year. Okay, so well, what, what kind of um, what kind of uh, participation are you getting from the uh, from the from the general public? You know, I mean, in terms of you know expressing this kind of civic pride to them, what kind of uh, involvement you get from them, and 
and uh, how are they participating or how can they participate? And business also. Can they sponsor a tree, sponsor an area? How does that work? It's like any new idea, I think, Hubert. You know that how uh, people are very skeptical and cynical about any new idea, especially a very ambitious one, you know, like this. <laughs> so, um, who will come to it first are the innovators. You know, uh, it's like any other process. You know, uh, uh, it's first the people who are innovative, and so on. They are the ones who grab on to new concepts faster, and they surround themselves with it. You know, um, and so we have quite a number of the innovators, the people who who rush to new ideas more readily. Uh, it, you know, we we have more demand than we have feelings. You know, that so that to me that's a great success for the first year that we are making this attempt, no? And uh, we're doing it uh, <laughs> with the little resources. It's costing us to put some soil together, to go around and pick up seedlings and bring them in and plant them and water the thing. You know, and uh, we're going to do it without all of that money and financial uh, pool that I thought we were going to need before. You know, so it, I'm proving to myself and to our how you know what? It, with a little work and the resources that are right around us, uh, we can do a lot. You know, we don't have to be waiting for grants and for and for uh, free money and all this kind of stuff to get things done. You know, there's a lot that we can do uh, on our own with what is around us. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, well, you know, I'm sure. Uh, how can the diaspora get involved in a project like that? If you, you know, Belizeans living abroad in you know, in the United States, England, or Canada different areas of the world, how can they get in, you know, be a part of such a dynamic process? One of the things that I would like to see, Hubert, is, is for the children to, to plant these seeds along with their parents, you know, uh, or, or in their schools as a group of kids, they, they, they get these seedlings and they, and they plant them in a place where they can take care of them and water them during the dry season so that they can get strong. You know, uh, the thing is that these trees, they, they take about four to five years before they flower, okay? So the uh, kids that, that plant these trees today, in their own lifetime, they will see this transformation. You know, uh, this verano, the aura, this summer of gold is something that the young people of Belize, even a child that is five years old in, 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 um, in Standard One, you know, uh, uh, who remembers planting that tree, by the time that person is 10, 12 years old, this summer of gold will be real. There will be trees flowering in our field. You know, and, and, and so they will have seen something that they have done to transform in a very significant way the landscape of the leaves. You know, and that, that should open their mind to many more things, you know, that hold it, and this is just a simple, simple thing. We really didn't get into touching other ways in which they, they can use their powers to transform belief in significant ways. Well, I think that's an excellent idea, you know. Um, see, and I, I think sometimes what, you know, what, what we need to understand is that it's not always sometimes, I always try to tell people, look, yeah, it's okay to discuss politics, hardcore. Some people just always want to show that hardcore politics. And, you know, and I, I, I don't mind doing that, but sometimes it's good to have these human interest, things like you're talking about, like the Verona de Oro, you know, like something that has to do with, uh, with, with, you know, with civic pride, planting trees along the, 
the highways in Belize, trying to beautify the country, and while getting that, getting the spirit of the people involved in caring, and uh, and be, becoming stakeholders in making sure that Belize is, is a is a very nurturing and beautiful place for all Belizeans, including the visitors who go down there. So, um, um, for if you're listening, this is Hubert Pipersburg, and I'm talking to uh, to Richard Harrison, live from Belize City, and he was just discussing with me his uh, new project that he's starting called something called Verano de Oro, which is he wants to plant uh, native species of trees. Was that Richard? Summer of gold. Yes, Summer of gold. This is the latest thing that he has embarked on to involve all the legions. And I I think it's a wonderful idea and I and I, I, I hope that you were you know, asking Hubert how did that can participate, you know? And yeah, that was yeah, that was yeah, that was one of the things that was. Did the diaspora have have families here in Belize? You know, most of them do, and especially if they're going to school, you know, school age kids, then send them five dollars to buy a seedling, you know, and and and, and encourage them to to plant one of the trees and to water it and to take care of it and to take pictures and and send it to them by WhatsApp or, or whichever way they can send it to them, you know, so that they can, they, they, the people who are sponsoring the, the, the trees can see the development of this thing and the child's involvement in it, you know. So uh, the diaspora can help one, you know, in small ways, you know. It, it, if, if, if they send and give a nephew or a grandchild or somebody in Belize who lives here, you know, send them the five dollars to get that seedling and to and to get it planted in, in, in their lot, you know, and it could be in a house lot. It doesn't have to be a big farm lot. You know, you can put one tree in your house lot. And and, and that that when that tree lights up with flowers, my gosh, it you know, the whole neighborhood brightens up. Very beautiful, huh? Mm-hmm. That, All right. That I'm sure that, you know, if you're listening and you have family down there, try to get 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 in contact with uh, Richard Harrison and his idea of um Verano de Oro to plant these trees, you know, in your garden, in your backyard, or or on your street side, you know. I think it's an excellent, excellent, excellent uh, idea that you that you have embarked on, my friend. Um, and for those who really want to hear you on your philosophy and you know economic development, before we get to let's 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 talk about the diaspora. You were I I I, I was reading your bio and some of the things you write. And you, you really believe that um, you're one of the few believers, I would say, that believes that um, the importance of diaspora. How do you view the diaspora? How can we? How do you view the diaspora? First of all, with respect to development of beliefs. Well, first of all, let me just say that how many of my own blood is in the diaspora. You know, so the diaspora is not something far from me. You know, uh, I could remember uh, when when we were growing. You know, my my oldest sister uh, went to the U.S. when my family was going through a very difficult economic time. You know, and she went at a very young age. I think it was 16, and started working. You know, and then my mother sent us to the post office. You know, and, and we would get these like postcards from my sister, and you know. If it's 10 U.S. or 20 U.S. or whatever she sent, it helped us, you know, to put the end to meet in our, in our family, you know. So it's not something far from me. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of other Belizean families who uh, have the same experience. 
I happen to have lived outside of Belize for quite a number of years when I was studying in the States and then again when I was studying in England, you know, uh, uh, a period when I was working in Mexico and, and I've traveled quite a number of, of countries, you know, uh, thank, I'm very thankful for that, for all those experiences. Um, but yeah, the, the, the diaspora to me is, is something strongly connected, you know. Um, I don't think like most other, let me say, the political elite in Belize have this idea that that Belizeans who leave the country uh, are weak and they are worms and they are weasels and they are and they are uh, people who gave up on Belize and all that crap. You know, I think that's a bunch of crap. You know, mm-hmm. have to call that state state. You know, um, these people are Belizeans. Well, I think what happened, Richard, is sometimes um, there's a hostility, a genuine hostility, and and towards the diaspora. And sometimes the perception, you know, could be perception, and sometimes we cause it on ourselves because maybe it's our the way we interact on our behavior. So I'm not going to suggest that you know that we're like you know that absolve of any responsibility, but at the same time, um, there should not be any hostility. There should not be any. Um, um, As with everything else, Hubert, uh, there's a lot of pettiness, pettiness, you know, on both sides, on both sides. You know, uh, I think that a lot of the Belizeans who live in Belize and have never left, and then when Belizean Americans come home, you know, after a few months, they oh, yeah, yeah, you know, they're yanking and, and this kind of stuff and, 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 and talking a whole pile of, you know, stuff that is totally irrelevant. I think that the people who are here... They get this idea, you know, that uh, these people are false and fake and making up this accent and stuff. And then, and and that that is like to me like a petty stuff, you know. But but it does affect it does affect the way how people think. So you know, if the Afro Belizeans come back home to believe, you know, come on, man, talk on the liquor, if on the good. You know, and, 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 and be a little bit more down to earth. I think that's how the, the people here locally will react uh, in a kind of way, you know. Uh, it, but it's all petty stuff. You know, it, it's nothing substantial on either side that can say, you know, why do we have this this tough feeling towards each other, you know. So uh, I think it's something that can be resolved quite easily and, and it, it, it needs a little massaging. That's about it. That's what I would do. I want to touch. I want to. I want you to. Re, I want to go back to that point that you brought up regarding the, the political business elite. They seem to be the one that that um, have the most resistance to the idea of unification of the diaspora with its with its with its um with you know with the local with our local uh, brothers and sisters there. As a matter of fact, I have my, you know when I I think my friend Mose was like. He's not against it, but he was like he didn't even want. He said he didn't necessarily like the term diaspora. You know, so I was like, and I know you were you, you were on Mo's show, and I think was it last week? Mm-hmm. When were you on um, the W? This week. This week. Huh? Oh. This week. This week. Yeah. Yeah. Third, my good buddy Mo. Yeah. He yeah, he, he said he don't even like me to use the term diaspora. Mm-hmm. And I understand. And I understand. We're not suggesting that you should replace one set of rascals or another set of rascals. That's not even what we're saying. But I mean, um, 
I think what happened is that sometimes there's this miscommunication, if you will, between those of us here and people living down there. And the more we can dialogue, the more we can talk to each other, the more we can uh, you know, exchange ideas, I think the better off we all will be because then we can amalgamate um, know-how, know-how that's there and believe such as yourself and know-how that's out here as well and bring those together for better beliefs to develop the country, you know, to you know, to a better future for all beliefs. And so I think, you know, there's, but again, it will take Hubert, communication. Let's, let's, look at, let's look at some some facts first, right, or <laughs> some figures, not facts, <laughs> because some of these figures are not uh, strongly established, right? But let's look at some figures first to, to give us an idea of the current status of the diaspora and then and then uh, see where we can go in the future with okay. it. Okay. Huh? Uh, from my reading, you know, there are, there are numbers that are offered by the U.S. Immigration Service, uh, the U.S. Embassy, and then there are some uh, studies, population studies. Hey Richard, the, yes. I, I, I didn't hear anything you just said. Yeah, you faded just now. Can you repeat that? Yes. Uh, uh, I'm saying that all these figures that, that I'm going to use are, are uh, not uh, very strongly substantiated, you know, because uh, they, they, they vary widely. And then Do they I have any empirical value? Do these figures have any empirical value? Yes, yes. So, like, for example, the U.S. The US um, embassy estimates, right? For 1990, was for 10,000 Belizean American citizens in the U.S. That should be accurate, you know, in 1990, right? And then uh, uh, there were they estimated 21,205 uh, Belizean Americans in all. So more or less only half were, na were naturalized Americans, you know, had become American citizens. 10,000 out of the 21,205, right? And then in 2000, the estimate by the embassy had grown to 37,688, an increase of 78% over 10 years. And then in 2010, the U.S. embassy estimate was 54,925, a growth of 46% over that decade, from 2000 to 2010. So you see that these growth rates, these 10-year growth rates are very significant, 78% from 1990 to 2000, and 46%, although lower, still high, right, uh, from 2000 to 2010. Now, those are U.S. embassies. Okay, uh, and the U.S. Embassy itself says that uh, it believes that there are two uh, undocumented Belizeans for every one documented Belizean. Okay, so by by its own estimate, the population of Belizeans living in the U.S. would be around 150 to 160 thousand people. 
to by the U.S. Embassy's own estimate of documented versus undocumented visa. Right? And then there was a study by uh, by uh, Vernon, Tom Vernon of 1990, which is a well-referenced study that I found, and that again, you know, uh, estimated somewhere in that same neighborhood, 130 to 160,000, right? Uh, Belizeans living in the state, right? Whether naturalized or undocumented. So, in other words, the total Belizeans in the diaspora and their kids, about 130 to 160,000. So that's what you're looking at, you know. Uh, it's almost half the population of those living in Belize itself. That's really what you're. That's really what you're looking at, you know. Yeah, I've heard, I've, I've heard those figures, Richard. Um, those estimates there. Uh, so that's kind of. I would tend to agree with that. Um, that accurate. That you know. But I would. I would estimate probably more because if you factor in um, third-generation Belizeans to you know, like um, Belizeans who have kids, you know, that also has. Um, I mean, we don't. We're not even. Put, we're not including those two. I don't think that the U.S. Embassy is including those. They're only going by those that probably migrated, uh, probably legally or legally. But then, when they have kids, those kids are Americans. So um, you have to factor that in too. I don't know if that is that part of the aggregate that they use. I'm not certain. I didn't get into the details of the thing. But there was another uh, document by a strong, right, which. Which estimated, which estimated that 50% of Belizean Americans live in the greater Los Angeles area of California. You know, it's suggesting that almost half of that 150,000 live in the Los Angeles state of California. Region. Yeah, well, yeah, yes, yeah. In the state of California itself, and in particular Southern California, I've also seen that. Um, yeah, Jerome Strong, Dr. Jerome Strong, my colleagues, um, study on that. Uh, and, and you know that's that's that, you know those like I said those figures are not too off, although you know they can be tweaked. But the point is, there's you know more than half of Belize's population resides outside of the country. Yes, and that's a that's a huge resource there that has to be tapped. And and sixty percent of Belizeans immigrating to the U.S. were female. Most of the people, you know, six out of ten persons that went to the U.S. were Belizean females. Mm -hmm. Six out of ten were females. But listen, Richard, if you if you if you if you go by descent, like I said, those who, you know, the children of the ones who you know migrated, it's probably more than the population of Belize combined. Because Belize is only like 300,000, so we're talking well over 400,000 Belizeans if you include descent. Mm -hmm. That you know that, that that's, that's living outside of Belize, you know, particularly in the United States. And then the immigration rate of ter tertiary educated professionals were estimated by the World Bank in 2000 to be 65.5%. So out of, out of every 100 uh, uh, educated professionals, tertiary level educated Belizeans, 65% of them left Belize. In, uh, in the year significant thing, you know, uh, the, the people who, who are more well-equipped to, to transform this country um, uh, have left and are leaving, 
and, and the tide the tide is not swinging in the direction. So you saying you, so what you're saying then that you said have left and so like this 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 disproportionate uh migration continues even as we speak. Yes, absolutely. Um it, it, it has slowed down like what you have noticed, you know, from a growth of 78% over the 1990 to 2000 period and then it fell down to like 46% between the 2000 to 2010 period you know, and it, 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 not, it doesn't have to do with the with the interest of of Belizeans or lack of interest of Belizeans to travel to the US I think more what it has to do with is the is the tightening up of the US immigration uh, yes no unquestionably they're not it's being so liberal with the, with the giving out of visas to Belizeans because of all of the, the, the immigration scandals that we have here. You know, the, the passport sailing, visa thing, and all of this kind of craziness that's going on. You know, and then it, 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 it diminishes the respect that Belizeans have in the outer world, and including the United States. And then they look at us, you know, uh, in a... In a well, not to say scornful way, but um, but they look at us in a negative light, not as not as positive as they used to look at us in the past. And so the the difficulty of getting visas now is definitely much higher than it used to be uh, before the year two thousand. But I, I think not only that too. I think also what happened, Richard, too, is um, you know, after nine one one, after the United States had that terrorist attack, I think right. they tightened up on the their, their immigration laws as well and so it became they, they made it uh, arguably more difficult for 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 people to migrate to this country from you know from different areas legally you know I mean well illegally yes people would continue to do it anyway but 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 to do it legally was you know was was a little bit more um, difficult I believe you know prior to because if you notice so the numbers fell between you know from 2000 to to now you know, and there's a reason for that. You know, it wasn't just, you know, I think it has a lot to do with... Uh, what I'm saying know, is that it doesn't reflect... Trend. What I'm saying is it doesn't reflect a lack of interest of Belizeans to go to the States. No, no, no. I, no, don't, no. Think, I don't think that that has declined. No, no. I don't think that has declined as well. But how do we, how do we stem? Because I can't tell somebody... But wait, before, before, we go, before we go to the future, Hubert, let me just give another important... Um, uh, figure, right? Uh, there's a thing that they call personal remittances. Okay. Speak up, Richard, because I can't. This is very important. I can't hear you well, but you're fading yeah. just now. I want to make reference to another, uh, some other figure. Okay, go ahead. That can help us to understand more about the diaspora, the Belizean diaspora, right, in the U.S. Uh, uh, World Bank estimate of personal remittances to believe in US dollars for the year 2011 was 75,654,110 dollars. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, 27 years, over the last 27 years where this number was tracked, it reached a peak of $78.6 million in 2009. 
So it has declined from 2009 to 2011, down to 75.6 million, um, which could reflect the difficulties in the world economy, you know, and the difficulties mm -hmm. were facing in the U.S. during that, that troubled time, right? Mm -hmm. um, however, if we put that 75 million, 75.6 million into context, that is over and above what we earn from our entire uh, citrus industry. That is in, uh, far way over and above what we earn from our entire banana industry in terms of export earnings. So you see, out of the GDP, 75.6 million dollars is about 5% of GDP. Oh, on a gross GDP is what? I think it's over a billion dollars, correct? Gross GDP is $3 billion. $3 billion. Three okay. Billion. So $75 million is about 5%. About 5% of that. That's the diaspora. That's just the diaspora um, every 10 for 2011 alone. Okay. Gross contribution to GDP in 2011 was 5.2%. Mm -hmm. Okay. What what essentially that means is that how one in every 20 dollars that is included in our economy, that is produced by our economy in 2011, was coming from the diaspora. One in every $20. But Richard, let me, let me just interject right here because it's very before while I have this thought here. That's the interesting uh, conundrum there because even though in terms of remittance and we don't take, and we, okay, that's essentially revenue that is coming into the economy, into that country, and we're not using the infrastructure, roads, hospitals, schools, or any of the, you know, any, you know, public safety, any, we're not get, using any of those things. We're the only group that can say that we do that unquestionably without any remorse, without any, without any impediments, and without demanding anything or ta taking anything from the local economy. So that, that, that's very telling. It is, it, it is showing that how, uh, you know, one out of, you know, if you want to really extrapolate this further, you could say that how one out of every 20 mouths in Belize was fed by money coming from the U.S. diaspora. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that is a very significant contribution to the economy of Belize, by any standard. Mm -hmm. You know, so this, this, uh, uh, this negativism that we have among the political elite in Belize, where they only see the diaspora as a fundraising crowd to go and party for September and raise some funds for political season and this kind of stuff. That's really how they see the diaspora, you know. Um, you know, let's go to the States and, and because they like to throw it down and have big parties, you know, and, and, and get drunk and, 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 and Punta and, and Calypso and all this stuff and raise some money and, 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 and get into the high political scene. That's really where it, and where it ends in, in as far as the political elite in Belize views the diaspora in the United States. That's the way how I see it. Yeah, you know, you're not I, too far off. From that assessment, I think also to what what you know what happened with the diaspora. And I and when I was on Plus TV, me and uh, Louis and and Senator Henry Garden were discussing this. I was discussing this particular idea here or this 
this, this avenue of this, uh, I mean, this particular topic, was how the diaspora is viewed vis-a-vis other um, nationals who are naturalized nationals. And, you know, my, I, uh, my argument was we're not suggesting that um, the diaspora should get any special, special um, treatment or any, but we, the, the, the playing field, if you will, and that's, I'm using Lewis Wade's term, but not in that level in the sense that because, you know, uh, they put up impediments and roadblocks in, in, with, 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 the dia- with natural-born Belizeans, and they don't do the same thing with, with Belizeans who are naturalized. So, for example, let's say you are naturalized Belizeans. Ostensibly, you can, you, you know, if you wait a year or so, or sometimes not even that, you know, you could, um, you could run for you could run for prime minister, and that's why what what that guy Penner did was so insidious because he gave a gentleman by fraud, fraudulent means, a passport that essentially yeah, that guy came to the lead. He could have ran for prime minister, whereas a naturalized whereas a natural leader like myself doesn't have that privilege. Not that I said I want it. I'm just saying those are the kind of inconsistencies that continue to that they continue to promote and believe need to know why it's so dangerous with this economic citizenship program because you're giving people you're giving people uh, uh, believe in birthright that that you don't really know who they are. There's another one who's um, supposed to the former head of the KKK. You know he you know he's a naturalized Belizean. If he chooses to, again, he can run for uh, office and become a prime, prime minister, if, so, if that's the case, you know? So these are the kind of things that I think the diaspora is crying out to the Belizeans at home and says, look, we need to recognize that there's this fundamental unfairness, that there's this fundamental, um, you know, uh, there's this fundamental basic unfairness that continues to perpetuate itself. On, 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 even though we we contributing to a country financially, we're not being we're not being given a fair recompense for what we're trying to do. And we're not saying that we need to have any recompense, but we're not giving we're not being given a fair shot at, at to, to to participate fully in all aspects of our country's development. When you see Hubert from that angle of argument, automatically you're putting it there for a in the position of beneficial or seeking benefit. What I think we should do is to go from the angle of Belize needs to recognize the opportunities that the diaspora offers to it. You know, so that so that the the, the, the political forces in Belize, whether it's red, blue, green or yellow or whatever it turns out to be, that they realize that Belizeans living and voting at home want and demand from its government full recognition of all Belizeans living abroad and recognize them as sons of Belize. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it will require Belizeans at home to voice this and to make this into a political agenda, into a political issue so that it becomes free among the political parties here in a serious way. You know, um, let's look at, at, at what we do. You know, the total foreign services budget for the United States, we only have three offices in the U.S. in terms of our foreign affairs um, operations. We have mm-hmm. the in Washington, D.C., and we have 
two regional offices, one in Miami and one in Los Angeles. For the, for the upcoming year, for this year that we just started, our budget included a total of US $1.3 million for those three offices to operate. The UN office alone, which is in New York, that has nothing to do with services to the in the US, you know. That, that only deals with UN issues. That alone is one million US. Meanwhile, the whole services, the embassy and the two regional offices have to run on only one point three million dollars. That's so they're underfunded then. Well, definitely. You know, a, a, that one point three million is less than 2% of the remittances estimate for 2011. Less than 2%. A normal business reinvests 10% of its earnings back into its marketing and promotion and development. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't even go as far as to say raise this thing up to 10% of remittances. I would just go as far as to say raise it up to 5% of remittances. And then you would have to allocate U.S. 3.75 million instead of 1.3 million to our foreign services in the U.S. How that how that would be spent would probably include considerations for another two regional offices, perhaps one in Chicago and one in Houston, where there are other large pockets of Belizeans living, and where the they can demand services of the of the U.S. of the Belize Foreign Service, right? But this increase in in in, in funding that we should allocate to Belize Foreign Services in the U.S. by raising it from 1.3 million U.S. to 3.75 million U.S. This should not go into more lavish lifestyles for these uh, for our foreign officers, you know, because if you look at the at the percentage of the total budget that is spent on personnel versus the amount that is spent on operations, you will realize that, man, you know, the majority of the money that is going to our foreign services is going into rents, vehicles, and fuel, personnel Administrative costs as opposed to actually doing something to really promote the country in that regard exactly it's not it, they don't have any resources to provide services to to um to the belizeans who are living out there you know so uh, how can they do it you know they we have to say okay we're going to increase the funding to five percent of of remittances that would be up to 3.75 us million but that 50% of that amount being dedicated to exactly operation of programs and projects that create value for our diaspora, diaspora community and for belief. Mm -hmm. The design of those programs and projects has to show clearly where they create value either for our people living in the U.S. or for the country of belief. That's how, uh, you know, I think that's how we should go. If we do not, if we do not increase our investment, okay, if we are just pumping back 2% of the total amount of remittances, right away it's showing that we are not placing enough value on those resources. 
You know, if we were, if we, if we help our diaspora communities to develop themselves, to become better organized, you know, to, to, to network better, to, to seek out better opportunities in the U.S. and to grow their lot, automatically that will mean more remittances for belief. Mm-hmm. This, this is no big science. You can see Mexico. Mexico, to Mexico, the remittances contribution to the, to the foreign earnings of Mexico is about 50%. Mm-hmm. You know? yep. so, no question, and so, they actively promote that too. Absolutely, absolutely. They, they have huge programs, you know, that are dedicated to helping Mexicans in the U.S. to legalize their status. You know, because then that stabilizes them over there, and it also gets them to earn higher income. Because you know, Indeed. people do yeah. pay less income to the ones that are illegal. You know, they pay them less income, right? That's mm-hmm. the real thing. And when yeah. they become, they have a chance to earn more income in the U.S., and then therefore they can send more home. You know, so so when you provide these services for for your diaspora community, and you improve uh, their uh, the quality uh, of their status in that country, whether it has to do with immigration status or whether it has to do with education status or whether it has to do with business opportunities, you know, um, uh, whatever you do to improve the lot of Belizeans living in the U.S., that will eventually lead. So increasing the amount of benefits accrued to believe as a country. Mm-hmm. Believe that. Yeah, yeah, that you're right. There's definitely a, um, a disproportionate level of service that the Belizeans get in the in the diaspora from the from from the Belizean government from what we're giving back into that country. Because I mean, uh, if you I mean the Super Bowl alone is like about about six what about what six billion? I mean we we have. Far, far surpassed that since 2006. So I mean, it's 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 a situation where we need to. I need to f- ask, why is it that we, the Belize government or the government of Belize, don't see the value of investing in the, res- the people resources by giving a better representation here in the United States to Belizeans that are here that genuinely need the services? You know, you know, we we getting we getting a, pit, a mere pittance compared to. The kind of contribution that we make into that country. You know, uh, it could be, and this topic has been raised over and over again, and there has been no resolution. You know that the Belize politicians they react to votes in a in a bigger way than most. You know, and um, most Belizeans living in the diaspora in the U.S. Um, do not vote. The majority. You know, only a few would take that flight back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, I believe that that had something to do with it, but it, I wouldn't say that that is so important. I think what is more important is, is that group of political elite members on both of the leading parties, you know, um, they have to become convinced, you know, uh, there has to be more information available. You know, one of the things that I'm recommending with this increase in budget, you know, I recommended increasing the budget to 5% of, of, uh, of remittances, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how, how to use that money? I just gave an example of expanding the regional offices and then providing more services. But one of the things that need to be done with that money is to do a strong scientific study of our community in this state, because you know, I, we just talked earlier in the in the show 
that the numbers that we gave you are, you know, and then you think that how it's more, and then some people think it's less, and we really don't know. That's yeah, do a comprehensive yeah. study, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do a comprehensive study of our Belizeans living in the States, their numbers, their demographics, exactly how much is in each state, you know, what are their living conditions, what are their challenges, you know, what are their uh, uh, skill sets, their education levels, you know, um, do they have businesses, where are these businesses located, what kind of products and services do they provide, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I mean, a complete comprehensive study of our Belizean diaspora, uh, 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 and so that we can get information and present you know, something constructive in terms of a proposal to the political elite. You know, um, uh, something that, that is constructive and makes sense and it's not, um, it's not about crying and, 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 mm-hmm. and, you know, and Well, you know, compa- compiling a diaspora database is certainly, I, I understand from um, that one is being compiled. I don't have the details um, you know, but some people in New York are, you know, are trying to act on that idea right as we speak, Richard, in terms of trying to compile a diaspora database, a comprehensive diaspora database to see, you know, to, 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 to uh, alleviate some of the issues that you're discussing here with respect to our, to, to, the, to, to not knowing or a lot thereof, you know, the number or the, the, you know, what services they have to offer, education level and so forth of the diaspora living in Belize, because, um, and you'd be surprised to know that, you know, they didn't know how that you can, that will ostensibly be, be revealed once such a study is, uh, is, is done or made available. Well, I hope that that, that study, you called it, um, you call what the word did you use for it earlier? You said What's that? that uh, this this study that is uh, being undertaken. Oh, it, uh, uh, anyway, the thing is that how somebody is undertaking some form of of documenting. You know, it's um, for a database. Uh, uh, it's for a database. Yeah. Database, right? But but that has to be done in the context. You know, uh, because you can you can have figures, and if you don't. Uh, if you don't put those figures into a context to create an argument, you know, then it doesn't it doesn't uh, drive the political elite towards changing a current concept or an idea. I you agree. Know, what, you need to what, see how they can because you're right. At the end of the day, they are they are they are voter maximizers, and if they don't see that a correlation between you know how it affects them because and that and, and I and I blame the diaspora. It's our fault because I give you a, I'm going to give a brief example. They quick to give Guatemalans and other Central Latin American people citizenship, even though they they are the 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 constitution says that Guatemalans should not become citizens by any means because their country is hostile to our sovereignty. But because they can they can see a direct correlation between um, v- voting. And getting them elected, they they quick to give these people uh, um, they quick to give them yes, the sir. citizenship. So that, that's what and that's what you're saying. Yes. For them, so that makes sense that because, makes sense because they, can they can see how that will benefit, benefit them. But mm-hmm. even though they have to evolve economically, economically and doesn't take anything out of the country, because when they give these people 
when they're bringing these people, they are taxing the resources too in terms of medical services, education, housing, land. Whereas the diaspora is not doing that. So this is the kind of uh, inequality that that must be addressed. But like you said, it cannot be addressed unless the political the political business elite see directly where the diaspora is an integral part of the political establishment as well. Yes. And that's the challenge here too. Yes. Because that's where they're putting up that's Richard, that's where they're putting up the thing of saying that in order for us to do to even become politically inclined or get involved in it, we have to give up or denounce United States citizenship as long as you've gotten it before your 18th birthday. Oh, I didn't know all of that. You know, so, see, and that's what me and Richard and, uh, me and uh, uh, Lewis and Senator Gardner was discussing on Plus TV because, see, the, 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 uh, the word the last time in Belize now, Richard, is that if you are, if like somebody like myself or any other Belizean that acquired U.S. citizenship beyond their 18th birthday, you are disqualified from participating in the, in, polit- in, the polit- in the political forum unless you denounce your, 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 your adult, your, I mean, your, your, your U.S. citizenship. Whereas any other, any other uh, naturalized citizen doesn't come under those impediments there. So it's, it's a very complicated thing, and it's a very tricky thing that these people are doing, these polit- political elites are doing, to their own, their own natural-born Belizeans. Yes. Okay, let me, let, me, let me proceed a little bit further, because, you know, I happen to, I happen to think that, that when, you, when you increase the amount of financial integration, okay, I think that, oh, a lot of democracy follows that. You know, a lot. Voice power comes with economic integration. I believe that, right? And I want to make a recommendation uh, for something that might be able to increase the financial integration of Belizean diaspora with Belize. Okay, um, Belizean diaspora must have money going into savings and loans in the state. Or to, or to banks, commercial banks, you know, they, some of them must be saving a penny or two, right? And um, there is, as far as I know, currently, no Belizean financial institution that is operating in the States. At the moment, the amount of taxes and charges, bank charges, of funds is so expensive to believe where people lose a lot of money when they transfer their funds from a US account to a Belize account. So there are probably a lot of Belizeans in the US who would like to save in Belize or for example in the whole Redeemer Credit Union. Right? Or other Palestinians in Belize, where they can get a good interest rate on their savings. But when they figure out how much it costs them to just transfer the money down here, they change their mind because then that kills the whole interest rate game. Not, not, not only that, too, Richard. Not only that, too, because I think what happened is, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I use my, myself as an example. Let's say you have a, a, a account at the, the whole Redeemer Credit Union, one of those institutions. 
Let's say I decide I'm going to send X amount of money down. So the, the, let's say I'm going to send $500 a month down there. Mm-hmm. That, that the value of my, you know, even though it's a two-for-one exchange, and I just, that's what you're saying, it's a two-for-one exchange. It's a two-for-one exchange. By the time that $500 gets down there, it's not five hundred. It's not a thousand dollars. It's not a thousand billion dollars. It's like maybe like close to like maybe nine something or around eight hundred or something. You know. Exactly. There's a lot of money lost. So you're losing a lot of value there. You know. Yes. That's so why. So there's, you know. there's, a, there's a disincentive to to want to save in Belize, even even though a lot of us are quite capable of doing it. Yes. And 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 I I want to suggest. Okay, there might be two ways how to how to circumvent this problem, right? One has to do with government policy. For example, the government is taxing heavily the transfer of foreign currency. You know, it doesn't only affect Belizean Americans who are sending money back home. It affects Belizean businesses that are receiving money from abroad. You know, like the, the, the tourist industry is now 50% of our economy accordingly. And they are getting revenues from all over the world, but especially from the states. And they lose a lot of money every day on the transfer of those payments for their services. They lose mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, um, and, 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 and industries, you know, our Belizean industries that are shipping their stuff abroad, when they get paid, they lose a lot of money in the, in, in the receiving of that payment because of this high amount of tax that the government is charging. They charge tax and duty, right? Uh, uh, on, on foreign currency coming to be. I think in, this, in the last year's budget, the total amount of revenue from foreign currency production is about $20 million. You know, that $20 million that could be in the hands of people instead of in the hands of government. And people would be more empowered to do something with that $20 million, right? And and the transactions would increase more rapidly because people will say, you know what, I can either move my money, and and it will be worthwhile for my family to receive the money and be able to use all of it, so they will send more. Or I want to save more because I can transfer the funds to whoever deem or to any other credit union in Belize, earn a higher interest rate, and the cost of doing it isn't so much. So the for people to, to to save in Belize would increase, you know. It's not only the part of the taxation which has to do with government policy, but also to do with the commercial banking rates for banking transactions. You know, the, the government of Belize through the central bank has to sit with these with these commercial bankers, and if if they can't reduce uh, the banking transfer of funds cost uh, for every kind of foreign currency transaction they should at least reduce it for the personal remittances for mm-hmm. You understand? Yeah, so, yeah. So that, that reduces the burden, the cost of, of, of sending money home. I mean, why should we set up barriers in terms of taxes by government and banking fees to stop or to, or to disincentivate this, this the sending of funds from the states to believe? Why would we want to do something like that? Yeah, That's Mexico, that, you know, as a matter of fact, I read somewhere where Mexico, Israel, they have eliminated those things to, to, to make it easier for, for their, you know, for, the, for expats and others to be able to communicate, I mean, financially between the two countries. So, for example, let's say 
I have, let's say I have a business, say, in, uh, I live in the diaspora, right? Or, and you live there. And, we, and, you, and you decide that you're going to be, like, say, maybe they, you, you're going to do, be doing business with a company in the United States. And you have to transfer funds back and forth with that they legitimate. Not, not, you know, not, not, because I understand that, you know, the, you know, the United States is worrying about money laundering and so forth. But legitimate, you know, enterprises that want to do business with each other. And, you know, well, they can only, you know, again, because of all the, the, the roadblocks that set up, it, it makes it very difficult for that local business person and the person living in the diaspora to even engage in any kind of uh, legitimate business enterprise without all the red tape that they have to go through. Exactly. You know, I, I, I made that, those suggestions based on the belief side. You know, but there, uh, let's say, let's say that there is reticence in the banking system here and the government to remove those taxes and fees. Then there is another way to get around it. You know, uh, our credit union system in Belize has grown so much. You know, the, the, the amount of resources that are in our credit unions now is, is, is very, very significant to say the least. You know, um, and these credit unions have capabilities and capacity. So it wouldn't be beyond reasonable to expect that a credit union of the kind like Holy Redeemer or like Macolada or Lindois, who are the more substantial ones, that they would have the capacity and capability to link up with Catholic-based credit union savings and loans institutions in the state mm-hmm. and to form some kind of corporation where Belizeans can deposit money in the state in U.S. dollars. In other words, start to pool the resources in the U.S. You see what happened? The thing is that how the Belizean diaspora, right? Uh, they're rich there. They don't have a credit history. Most of them are, are, are there and uh, in, on a questionable immigration status. And, uh, and it's very difficult for them to access credit. You know, and, and the accessing of credit has a lot to do with their capacity and capability to develop businesses, you know, to buy property and so mm-hmm. on. So, so uh, uh, if, if, if we can develop our own services for our diaspora community where they can be able to deposit funds in confidence with a reputable institution of a Belizean nature like the HRCU, even if it does it, even if it does it through a corporation with a savings and loans, with a Catholic institution, sister institution, you know, because Holy Redeemer is a part of the Catholic Church, you know, and the Catholic Church has very strong savings and loans organizations in the U.S. who ha- who know how to work with the U.S. standards and within the U.S. laws, right? And 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 so they can have a corporation. You know, the the, the world is, is so technology these days that you know it's very easy to open a for HRCU inside of a U.S. based savings and loan institution, where Belizeans can then start to pool their resources there, and what that means, savings and loans, so they can save and they can borrow, you know, to buy their homes in the state, to build businesses in the state, to build their to build their strength, you know, because uh, uh, the pooling of resources will do a lot of things. A man standing by himself like an island can do much less than 150,000 Belizeans pooling their financial resources together. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think. I think. 
We've gone so much, and just uh, just in case anybody was listening, um, this is, we thought, I'm talking to Richard Harrison, and I'm here with Piper's Burke, he's in Belize, I'm in California, and we're discussing how the diaspora, uh, the Belizeans living outside of Belize, wherever they are, whether it's in the U.S., Canada, Europe, Africa, Central and South America, how Asia, how they can, Australia, and all the continents, how they can best help to develop the, the, you know, the country of Belize and, and how we can bring up, or how we can bring all these varied background forces together for the benefit and development of the country of Belize. And that, that essentially that's what we've been discussing uh, for the past 40, 40, hour and 15 minutes. But we're going to take a little break, Richard, okay? okay. Just to catch our breath. Give me a little two or three minutes break and then we're going to come back. Okay? Good. Just, just uh, hang tight, Richard. We'll be back in a moment. Okay, good.
this diaspora, to, to help develop this diaspora. You know, when we have to see that by developing our people who are abroad, who are in the States, and we already look at their numbers and we already look at how much they are contributing, more than the banana industry, more than the than the Christmas industry, you know, uh, more than the papaya industry. You know, uh, uh, when you look at the contribution to the country, one in every 20 months in Belize, living in Belize is being fed by money coming from the state, you know. So uh, it is a very important contribution that they're making, and we need to invest in that. You know, we have to see the, the, the development of the diaspora as, as something positive because it is already contributing. And if it develops itself more, it will contribute even more. You know, and I want to look at the issue of education. Because, you know, a lot of the Belizeans who leave Belize and go to the state is because uh, the majority of them there is because are, they are in a situation in Belize uh, where they don't find themselves uh, uh, with opportunities to work and to improve a lot. And they see that by going to the States, okay, they're looking for that opportunity, right? And a lot of them uh, uh, either go with some starting education, some of, most of them have finished primary school, some of, majority of them have finished high school, you know, and, 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 but we need to see how can we develop, you know, a part of that, that budget increase that I propose, you know, raising it up to 5% of, of uh, remittances. Uh, a, for, a big portion of that should go towards a, a, our embassy and consular services, uh, services uh, increasing their contribution to the education development among our diaspora population. There's a lot of things that can be done. You know, uh, Belize has a project which is called COBEC. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. It is a, it is a cooperation um, of Belizean education Consortium, something like that. I, I, I think that's what it means. Uh, I think I might have heard briefly that that, that thing mentioned, yes. You know, but it's, I'm not aware of the details of it. Uh -huh, it's where Belizean institutions, uh, uh, mostly the tertiary level institutions, form cooperation with US based universities and educational institutions. You know, and it, in, it increases opportunities for Belizeans to improve their education in the United States. You know, uh, there's a number of, of, of uh, institutions that have joined this COBEC relationship and, and that needs to be strengthened. You know, the embassy in Washington and the consular offices uh, in the U.S. should have an education desk. It should have, a, you know, a, a, a maybe a small number of people who are uh, dedicated to improving the education of diaspora Belizeans in the state, as well as improving the contribution of that diaspora to the education of Belize within Belize. Well, Richard, let me let me just interject here for a minute because I mean, as it stands, uh, the United States have the most educated Belizeans on the planet right now. I mean, as, we, as just as it, as it stands right now, um, so. I'm trying to think, because see, look, one of the things that I, I had Dr. Bowa on, and one of the things that we discussed was, we don't want to, the Belizeans living in Belize to see the, Belize, the educated Belize, highly educated Belizeans living in the United States, you know, um, as a competition for employment, 
or as a competition to take away resources from them, but rather as a, as a means to enhance whatever is going on there. You know, and that to me seems to me the very, very, very. Perhaps you could you know explain along those lines how we could do that. Well, uh, the first thing that I think you know there, there are two things. So let's separate them. One is the enhancement of education of our Bolivian diaspora population in the U.S. You know, there are quite a number of highly educated Bolivians over there. There are very small, 150,000 that are here. There is still a lot, you know, the vast majority of that 150,000 who are still pushing forward with the back of all of their high school education that they got in Belize. No doubt, no doubt. Right? And and, yes. and their children coming up as well. You know, if they're there with with uh, doubtful immigration status and can't access, you know, the different services that are in the state, then, you know, if they find it very hard to break through. Right? So, they, 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 one of the things that I'm suggesting that, that Belize should do is, uh, if, if it can and it has the will to, to enhance its budget for services to the diaspora according to the suggestions that I made of 5% of, of, of remittances, uh, one portion of that increase should go towards establishing an education desk in the embassy or in the counselor uh, uh, services that are across the state where they can help to facilitate. There's a lot of things, you know, like for example, obtaining state tuition, right? Um, so that the, the, the Belizeans who are in the state can obtain an education at a lower cost or entering community colleges to improve their education, to, to access financial aid, you know, and w within the state, from the state government, right? Um, there's a lot of things that, that an education desk within the embassy can do from a policy level and negotiating both with the federal and the state government to improve the amount of access that Belizeans diaspora population have in terms of improving their education because the improvement of the education of our Belizeans over there will improve the amount that they will be able to earn and therefore it will improve the amount that they will be able to send home. You know, so it, it, is, it is something that we know has returned. We are already getting 75 million U.S. a year or more from the diaspora. That's a huge amount of money. And if we enhance the level of education among that population, that their amount of, of income will, will jump significantly. You know? So and, and that's one side of the argument. And then the next side, that the, the part that you're suggesting, is, is where we use already trained Belizean professionals who are in the state and find a way how to allow them or facilitate them to help with education in Belize. And one of the things that that, that, that thing could do as well, you know, that, that the expansion of that budget could do, uh, in, in a simple way it could start small, but to start a voluntary service. You know, I met a, a very intelligent uh, gentleman, I think he lives in Nebraska. He was here on vacation. He's a Belizean who has been in the States for many, many years. He is a, a, a PhD uh, graduate. He taught for some years and many years in a university in the U.S. You know, so he's a he's a trained uh, educator, and he's retired. You know, he, he doesn't have much to do. Uh, would, would this kind of person be willing to contribute voluntary time uh, if the if the if the Belize embassy would facilitate their flight ticket and maybe a small stipend 
to do the summer course in Belize. To okay, to Richard, let me, uh, just again, on that, along that line, I, I was involved in, with the late Bert Tucker from way back in the 80s, the idea right there. It was called uh, Talk 10, which was the transfer of know-how through expatriate nationals, which was, at the time, the Minister Philip Goldstone was the one who was spearheading that, along with Bert Tucker, the late Bert Tucker, the economist from Harvard, Harvard-trained economist, uh, who was working in Belize and just passed uh, recently. Um, mm -hmm. The thing is, was, and, and you know, I, 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 I hear what you're saying with this, and I totally agree with it, because from back then, like I said, in, in that, that's not a necessarily new idea per se, but it's an idea that, 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 that was the UNDP, the United was willing to, um, to fund it, like you said, like maybe bring professional doctors, engineers, um, people in the medical field or economics, business finance, to, 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 to transfer know how or to work in, 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 in accordance with, with, with the nationals in Belize. And, uh, you know, the, that, that never got off the ground because of the kind of impediments that was placed on the ground in Belize. Maybe, maybe so that something has to be overcome there. Maybe it was not an institutionalized effort as what I'm suggesting. You know, I'm saying that how a portion of that increase of the budget for foreign services to the U.S. includes an education debt. That is an institutionalization of the effort. You know, if you depend on a, on a loose group of, of volunteer people to do something and they don't have resources to do it and to do the follow-up, you know, how can it get off the ground? You know, but if we, if we have a budget, you know, we are going, if we're going to increase the budget to 5% of remittances, that's a significant increase in the amount of investments that we will do. And right. if we create this education desk that I'm talking about, that, that education desk has to have a TOR, a terms of reference, you know, of, of what all objectives we expect to achieve with that desk, right? And, and one of those things has to do with, for example, documenting the professionals in the U.S., first of all, so to have a database on them and, and what are their skill sets, and then to get in touch with them and find out if they have the will to volunteer during the summer to come and teach specific courses in our university and colleges, you know, and, and then facilitate them. You know, what does it cost to send five professors per year during the summer? You know, uh, uh, what does it cost to, to pay their flight ticket and to give them a small stipend for 10 weeks? You know, to, to, to come to Belize and, and to uh, our various colleges and, and universities, provide educational uh, uh, experiences and share knowledge with, with the students of Belize just for the summer. That, that, that would be a good start. And just with five for summer, five professors or five professionals from the U.S. coming down for summer. And we don't have to think too big to start. You know, we just need to, to, to get something off the ground. And then from here it grows, from strength to strength, depending on the results that you obtain from it, you know. So uh, 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 that's one way, you know. Uh, but I think that Quebec uh, is also a very strong opportunity. You know, Quebec uh, is institutional relationship. You know, it's much stronger than the personal relationship development, right? And it has a, a much uh, deeper and broader uh, set of potential opportunities for us and I really would like to encourage uh, both our public uh, uh, officers, you know, the people in our foreign service, to look at ways in which 
how they can cooperate more to enhance the strength and opportunities of, of the Quebec relationship so that uh, Belize at home and Belize in the diaspora can benefit more from this Quebec relationship. Okay? Yeah. Um. Those are my ideas, but, but uh, you know, I, I don't want to, to nail down too many things because the basic concept has to do with uh, improving the capacity and capability of our foreign services to provide uh, services to the diaspora and to our local institutions so that we improve the education opportunities and results for both the diaspora living in the U.S. and Belizeans living at home. That is There is definitely uh, um, inefficiency and uneconomical nature to our foreign service and what we're delivering. For example, like give the example with the UN, which they're just there to facilitate, you know, activities of the United Nations, but and that's it. And they get the, they, you know, I guess the embassy in Washington as well. They get the bulk of the, uh, of the whatever fund funding that, which is very meager, to to, to facilitate those, those you know, whatever activities they do vis-a-vis the United Nations and I guess Washington. But the thing is this: when you, you know, the majority of the population, say for New York, let's say a, a place like Los Angeles, where, according to Dr. Strawn, and you know, I've seen the research, where more than 60,000 or so documented Belizean reside in in California. That's a huge population that's not getting the services that we're discussing you know from the diaspora and they they, they comprise one of the biggest Hubert Hubert out of the one point three million remittances Hubert out of out of the one point three million remittances no uh, uh, budget one point three million US dollars budget for our foreign service in US out of that one point three million US dollars do you know how much is allocated for operation? $67,000. Wow. wow. Five That's a shame. Total budget is for operation. They can't do anything. You know, how can you provide services? You know, and, and then, you know, it has to do with the lavish lifestyle that they really owe. They, they, the exorbitant salaries and allowances, and then the exorbitant rents that they're paying for, 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 for living. I think that how... You know, those things need to be renegotiated in a way where we reduce the cost of administration, you know, and, 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 and put more money uh, into operations so that we can provide services to our people. Okay? Um, well, I've seen where... I want to say one more thing before, ahead, we, leave ahead, that, sorry. before we leave that topic. Right? Uh, the, the provision of of services by the Mexican government to Mexicans living in the U.S. in terms of facilitating the process of legalizing their citizens. You know, it is official business for a Mexican council or embassy in the U.S. to provide to Mexicans living in the States all of the support that they can to help them to legalize their status in the U.S. That is, that is Mexican government business. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, what is the Belize Embassy doing in the U.S. to help Belizeans legalize their status there? You know, uh, uh, is there is there a immigration lawyer in our embassy 
who is there that, that Belizeans can call and get legal advice for free? For free, you know? If we have 150,000 people over there and there's only 30,000 of them legal, you know, that means we have 120,000 of them who need help to legalize their status, you know? And, and they don't want to be calling anywhere and everywhere. You know, it would be much better and more confidential for them to be calling their own embassy. And where they have a legal service officer there who can advise them for free on, on, on what are the next steps, what are, what are the total steps to follow, and what is, you know, in a step-by-step -step way, and to guide them through the process, to facilitate them, to get legalized in the fastest, quickest way possible. Lowest cost way. You know, I, I think that, that that is a service that the embassy and consular offices in the U.S. should be able to, to, to assist Belizeans in the U.S. with. I think it should be a normal procedure of the embassy. Right, and then I also wanted to say that how the Belize government, through that same embassy and consular offices, should publish all of its invitation for bids, whether it's for supply of goods or whether it's for supply of contracts. There's a lot of money in our budget for consultancy, you know, going to all the different people in the world, see a lot of people flying in here from all over the world, you know, but they're not Belizeans. They're not professional Belizeans who could come here and do all this consulting work and make some money. You know, so I, I think that there are a lot of Belizean businesses in the U.S. You know, uh, uh, they are producing products and they are providing services from their businesses in the U.S. Now, they, 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 there should be uh, some place within the website of the of the Belize Embassy in, in the U.S., there should be some place where all of the government contracts, the, the government bids that are being put out for supply of goods and services should be rolling on that website, should be rolling on that website where Belizean businesses in the state can go to and they can see where they can start to supply the Belize government with goods and services. You know, and so we enhance the growth of the businesses of our diaspora. You know, I think I think that is that is something that we should do. We should be we should prefer to give a Belizean in the state a consultancy contract or a supply contract or some kind of services contract for improving computer networking or blah blah blah. There's a lot of spent in this government. You know, for for services that can be provided by trained Belizeans in the diaspora. You know, but, but uh, are we actively engaged in soliciting them and sending them, letting them know about the base and what we are asking for and what we need? I don't think we're doing enough of it. I don't think we're doing enough of it either. I think what happened too sometimes, what I found out is that even though you have local know-how in that same area, in some of the, a lot of the areas that we talk about, because we don't want to, um, we, 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 we'd rather have synergy than to have competition. And I think that's one of the things that we need, that needs to be looked at, because if they see... If they see, let's say, for example, someone who has expertise in computer science and they're providing some of these services that you're talking to, talking about. If, if let's say, there's a company in, this, in, uh, in the diaspora that can do the same thing, if they can somehow have some sort of synergy to enhance that local company, that would be the way to go about it. But the minute they try to do it where it's a competition thing, then it, 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 it leads to resentment and then, uh, you, know, under, you know, that that thing gets undermined. So I think we have to find a way to to create synergy with 
building resentment. We definitely have to have the will. We have to have the will, and you know, Belize is loaded with debt. You know, Belize is a country that is overburdened with debt. Oh yeah, over, over 80% of our GDP in debt. And, and if we take other things into consideration, it might actually be over 100% of our It is GDP. 100%. I checked it. All right. Uh, uh, depending on, on what, what you put into that debt, right? Uh, but, but let's say 80%. That's still very high, you know. So Belize has to find innovative ways of reducing that debt. And Belize needs to pursue debt for education and debt for nature swap with the U.S. But the U.S. will, will make certain demands of us when they, when they do those things. We have done them before, you know. We, do, we have made uh, debt for nature swaps before, you know. And, and we can do a lot more of it. And if, and, and well, if we don't do like a super bond, we're fine. Well, we don't do that kind of negotiation. <laughs> Hope that well, the, way how, the way how it works is that how the, the U.S. agrees to forgive or pay off some of our debt. If we would spend money on education, like for example, a debt for education swap, for argument's sake, right? Let's say the U.S. agrees to a debt for education swap of, of 10 million U.S. dollars per year, right? So then the U.S. assumes 10 million U.S. of our debt, in other words, pays it off on our behalf. Mm-hmm. If we agree to spend in the U.S. 10 million dollars, on providing education services, whether it's, you know, you have to negotiate with them. Will it be to, to improve education services in Belize for Belizeans, or will it be for providing education services to U.S. citizens who want to study in Belize? Mm-hmm. You know, and, or it can be a combination of both. It depends on how it's structured or how you negotiate. You know, but, but the thing is that how Belize needs to to, to, to look at these creative avenues for reducing its debt, you know, and, and while at the same time improving the quality and quantity of services that it can provide in education and also in, in the development of our natural resources and protection of our environment. Those are the three areas where we can definitely pursue debt for education. In the few, um, in the few minutes we have left, Richard, because we don't have a lot of time, we... Two hours is upon us, and um, I wanted to just uh, you know just briefly expand on something where uh, get you to comment on this too. I mean, we talk about our debt, our GDP to debt ratio, which is I think is over a hundred percent. And what I want the listeners to realize why that is important is because uh, if your GDP to debt ratio is over a hundred percent, that means for every dollar that you earn, your treasury has zero. To uh, to commit to essential uh, service owed to the people, such as um, schools, hospitals, streets, and construction repair, roads, bridges, affordable housing, public safety, and public safety. So that's why the debt is one of the critical things that we must look at for the development of any country of the GDP to debt ratio. And I think what we have done, Richard. Richard, are you there? Yeah. Okay. What we, what I've seen, the model that I've seen is this: is that. What, in order to balance the budget, what I've seen successive administrations do every time is to 
get more foreign foreign lo- foreign donors and foreign loans, and then increase taxation. So in essence, they're balancing the budget on the backs of the Belizean people. That seems to be their model, and they don't and then then they don't do any in- investment in- into into uh, people resources development to to to, to maybe. Get get more 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 bang for their money locally. Yeah, that's a whole different thing, you know. Uh, I know that's a whole different, but I'm just saying. I just want to tie it in since we're talking about the debt, but that's another conversation. But I'm saying that's the model that I have seen. But coming back to the point of what you know, what we're discussing here in terms of um, you know, um, how we can enhance Belize's economic development. There's a question I want to ask you, as far as education, because you have a lot of highly trained Belizeans living in Belize and, 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 and abroad too. But I had a conversation with Dr. Almandares last week, and he thinks that a lot of the, the education is irrelevant because in the area that you were talking about, in the expertise that you're talking about, you don't have a very trained, so even our educational system tends to be uh, inadequate in training the, the, the type of citizens we need to develop the country. Hey, I recently wrote an article um, about the the um, entrepreneurship uh, in Belize, you know the, the 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 things that are roadblocks that are obstacles for people becoming entrepreneurs in Belize. You know, and there's a lot of people who who criticize Belize for being lazy, for being like a daisical, for not being innovative, for not having initiative, blah blah blah. You know, they run us down, and then they run down our whole education system. I am a product of our education system. I'm proud of our education system. It took me where, you know, I could no, go. No, what I'm saying, Richard, is it, what I'm saying, the, the education system, for example, let's say you have, okay, you talk about uh, water conservation, engineering, in, in, in engineering, and so forth. We, our education tends to be producing, disproportionately producing maybe academics rather than to say practical practical expertise that's needed for, say, um, developing industries, you know, oil exploration. And and I, think that, I think that, that uh, from the primary and secondary and even the sixth form level of education, which is basically a general education, I think it is quite sound and it is good. I think there's a perception that the quality has been falling as we have been expanding access. Uh, that is an issue, uh, you know. In terms of its general value, I think that how it is very good. It served me very well. You know, I came from a from a relatively um, modest family. You know, and, and, and I got scholarship opportunities to go through to different levels right up to degree. You know, um, and I, I was able to use the formative education that I got in Belize and went to foreign universities and did very well. Like I know a lot of other Belizeans have done. You know, we can compete effectively with with uh, people that, that study in the developed countries. You know, so I I don't like to beat up our education system so much. Well, I don't want you to think that. I'm not beating it up. I'm merely suggesting that you know, like okay. And I, again, I don't want to single out it because I don't want people to think that I'm being that I'm like I said, you know, picking on it. But you look at the UB. All right. Okay. Where is it that you know? Where do we have our expertise in say, um, you know, oil is a big industry in the league right now. Yeah, the potential. We're going out there a different thing and I wanted to talk about the Belize Education Excellence Society. You know, is this other project that we're working on? You know, 
um, this this society aims to bring together the the best mind of belief at a young age. You know, we're starting off with the valedictorian of the high school and the valedictorian we hope to bring these all these auditoriums together in one room as often as we can, right? Because uh, what we what we believe is that whole Belizeans need to learn to work together. But how can we work together if we don't even know each other in the first place? You know, it, 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 the scores come out for the high school, for the CXCs, or for you know the valedictorian, the announced whatever. You get is the top one, and then it's announced on the news, and you hear it for two seconds, and then that's the end of it. Those the valedictorian from from a high school in in Corazal never gets to meet the valedictorian from a high school in Fiji, or one from Cairo meets the one from San Pedro. It, it, you know, it never happens. So we're 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 going to try to bring the best minds of belief together in this society, and we're going to do through a structured program to a structured development by meeting periodically, frequently as possible, and engaging in culturation and socialization of this group. All right? Where, where we hope that at the end of the day, we will have the best minds in belief. Number one, the first important thing is getting to know each other. Number two is getting to talk to each other. Not only talk to each other, but listen. Listening as an important part of conversation. And to learn how to carry on a discussion constructively. You know, we have a tendency to believe there, you know, if, if we are discussing some things and then there are things on the table, we can all agree on five of them. But one, the one, sixth one that we disagree on, we're going to grab that one and badger it to death raise our voices, quarrel with each other, and leave the table, stop talking to each other, and forget about the fight that we agree about. That's, that's, okay, that's what... Richard, okay, we mm-hmm. have like five minutes left. Um, I, want you, I want you to wrap it up for me. Give right. me um, in terms of this project that you're doing, what, mm-hmm. what, what's your... What, you know, I mean, I, I know we express for time, so I want you to make it kind of brief. What is your vision? What, what's your long-term hope for this this education society that you've started, and how we can amalgamate it, I mean, how we can um, unify it with the, uh, with the, um, the diaspora. Okay. Uh, the long-term vision is... You have like four minutes, you have like three minutes, Richard. long-term vision is to, is to change the culture of our young Belizeans to, uh, to help them to move to greater cooperation, collaboration, cohesion, uh, uh, working together spirit, um, by doing two structural developments over a period of time and socializing them in the right way, where we, at the end, we have Belizeans knowing each other, talking to each other, discussing issues, and working towards solutions on a togetherness basis. We are looking for contributions from both people within our country and from the diaspora. We have a, a person in the name of Ms. Karina Sabala Quinones in Chicago who saw our, our, our um, concept paper in the Facebook. We do have a Facebook page which is called Believe Education Excellence Society. It can be, you, know, you can just put in those words into the Facebook and you will find our, our page 
and you can communicate with us through that page. Uh, you can also communicate with me directly if you're interested. Uh, my email is H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N-B-Z, as in Harrison, believe. All small fun at yahoo.com. Harrison, okay. yahoo.com. And, and those are the ways to communicate with us if you want to find out more about how you, we, uh, Ms. Karina Sabala Quinones, will be coordinating our U.S. efforts. So, uh, any people in the diaspora who want to to uh, uh, find out more about what we're doing or to offer help in human or material ways can contact either myself or Ms. Karina Sabala. She she also is on Facebook. And, uh, and she is, is very excited about participating with us, and we would like for the efforts in the U.S. to be coordinated to her so that it be organized and transparent and everything, okay? Uh, All right. So, All right, yeah. then, Richard. Um, we're really out of time, but uh, I want to thank you for coming on, and we're going to have to... Man, there's so much more. You, you will have to be one of my guests that I have to bring you back, bring on, you back on. Because, because <laughs> you know, I, it doesn't do you justice to just talk for like two hours. And, two hours and, <laughs> you know, we need to get more in depth in this diaspora thing and this new project that you have with the Education Society. No, Hubert, we don't need to get more in depth. We don't need to get more in depth. Okay. We need more action. But I want to thank you. And, um,. Uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to spend two hours with us this morning to help, you know, educate us on, you know, some of the things we need to do to help develop our country. And um, you have a wonderful day, my brother, and God bless, all right? Thank you very much, Hubert, and keep doing your good work, man. All, all right, thank you. Success. Uh, everybody, and to everybody else out here that, li- that was listening, sorry about the audio, but we deal with Belize, and, you know, I thank you for listening to Richard Harrison. And you brothers have a wonderful day and do the right thing. Yes, man. Goodbye.